0: Es spricht der Führer. Als unsere Partei gerade sieben Anhof war, brach sie schon zwei Grundsätze aus. Erstens, sie wollte eine
1: wahrhaftige Weltanschauungspartei sein. Zweitens, sie wollte daher kompromisslos die einzige Macht und alleinige Macht in Deutschland. And welcome to the Third Reich History Podcast. My name is Ryan Stackhouse, and unfortunately, we will not be joined by Chris Osmar this week. Chris has been busy beavering away, but to make up for his absence, we have a special treat. The first of our long-awaited interviews is finally here. Chris and I started this podcast to share the conversations where the heavy thinking gets done. And it is in that spirit that we're pleased to bring you our conversation with Nathan Schultz. All right. Well, we are joined today by Nathan Stoltzfus to talk about protest and compromise in Nazi Germany. Nathan is the Rentals Professor of Holocaust Studies at Florida State University. He has authored and co-edited a number of books about, surprise, surprise, the relationship between state and society. And my first point of contact with his work was a nice little collection of essays on social outsiders in the Third Reich. That led me to his earlier work on the Rosenstrasse protest entitled Resistance of the Heart that won the Ernst Frankel Prize in Contemporary History, and that, of course, was one of the reasons that Chris and I went to Florida State University, where I got to know Nathan over conversations about German history that always seemed to grow more interesting after they transferred to the local tiki bar. Today, we're going to have a chance to chat about his broader body of work, as well as his latest book from Yale University Press, entitled Hitler's Compromises, Coercion and Consensus in Nazi Germany. So, without further ado, Nathan. Thanks for joining us today. Pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Thank you, Ryan. It was uh, good hearing you and your interviewing guys. <laughs> Thanks.
1: <laughs> so, before we get into the book today, I, I was hoping you could tell us a bit about yourself. How how did you become a historian?
0: Well, let me jump right into the middle of that question by recalling an anecdote when I was in Berlin, just having arrived with a Fulbright scholarship and some people to interview lined up. One interviewer who became a kind of uh, close acquaintance, uh, after a while he just scratched his head and said, look, you know, uh, we here in Berlin, he was uh, counted as a Jew in Nazi Germany and had been persecuted. He says, we have to deal with this. We can't look away. You're an American. What are you doing here? Why don't you go home, start a business, make some money, have fun? And I scratched my head. I was wondering why I didn't think about that. But um, it's um, uh, you know it was something that uh, history has always attracted me. I guess the, uh, the 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 interest in how society related to government, specifically to dictatorships, really drew me into the study of. Nazi Germany although I wouldn't uh, characterize my interest as remaining uh, only about protest but really in how the Nazi regime worked how it exercised power how it how Hitler perceived of his power and how he tried to maintain that relative to his uh, his his uh, race as he saw it his Germans mm-hmm. so what was it about Nazi
1: Germany specifically that attracted you what what fascinated you about this particular epic of history?
0: It was actually the, the peculiarities of the regime that made it particularly sensitive to, to, to popular opinion and to uh, either support of it or the subtraction of that support. The fact that the regime was so sensitive to uh, to the subtraction of support, or at least any show of discontent, because it hoped that this solid wall of content would convince anybody who was who was uh, dissenting in any way that the uh, dissent was useless, and in fact resistance was futile. Mm-hmm. So, how how did you come to write Hitler's compromises
1: specifically? Where where did this book come from in your your longer you know? Corpus of work on on Nazi Germany.
0: I had started with another book, which I'm continuing with now. It uh, <clears throat> I was brought back to this, though, with a continuing desire to cast my earlier work on intermarried Jews and Germans in in a broader context that that showed that this was not. Uh, that this was, that my earlier work was not just about a single event, that that single event was not just a one-off, a Mm fluke, but that there's a a way of uh, understanding the regime that may have been somewhat eclipsed because it's often been assumed, as some have written, that uh, we know that a protest couldn't have influenced the Gestapo because we know that's not the way the regime works. So, I I did want to investigate that, not knowing from the beginning how it did work, but but seeing as I looked deeper and deeper that that Hitler did have this peculiar sensitivity, sp- certainly relative to Stalin, probably also to uh, relative to Mussolini about uh, about maintaining this uh, perception, the appearance of unbroken support. So. What does the nature of protest, the
1: official reaction to protest in Nazi Germany, tell us about that power dynamic, where Hitler's power comes from, and what that relationship with state and society is? Like, what, what is the big idea here in this book that you want readers to walk away with?
0: That Hitler did not just want power, but he wanted authority. And Goebbels understood that very well. So Goebbels writes on November 2nd, that's 1943 directly after these uh, 300 women, according to the SD report earlier uh about the Witten protest in October, the previous month. He writes in response, We are faced once again with the problem of whether to reopen the schools in Berlin. So far I have turned this down. If we open the schools again, the stream of evacuees returning to their homes will continue uninterrupted. One dare not bend to the will of the people in this point of evacuations, since the people, of course, have no overview of the coming probable developments in the air war. The shuffling back and forth of German masses between evacuation sites and their bombed home cities puts an undue strain on the transportation train system, Goebbels wrote, and we must therefore try to dam up this reverse current with suitable measures. If this is not to be achieved through friendly controlling, then one must use force. It is not true that force does not lead to results. Of course it leads to results if it is explained to the public with the necessary specificity, and then is actually deployed. Up until now, one has not sensed any of this, and the people know just exactly where the soft spot of the leadership is, and will always exploit this. Should we firm up the spot where we have been soft up until now, then the will of the people will bend to the will of the state. Currently, we're on the best path to bending the will of the state to the will of the people. I consider that to be extraordinarily cataclysmic, not only from the objective perspective, but also from the standpoint of leadership in general. The state may never, against its better insight, Get into the pressures of the street. If it does this a second time, it will still be it will be still less strong than it was the first time, and gradually lose its entire authority. That's what he wrote, uh, in Goebbels' November the second, nineteen forty-three, after the Witten protest, which was, of course, about this issue: women returning to the city of Witten in the Ruhr from their evacuation sites in Baden, where Goebbels wanted them to stay. So, what do you see this quote as telling us about the regime? It's very interesting. I, I, it, it, uh, I, it tells us that, uh, first of all, Goebbels starts by saying he's not going to reopen the schools because that'll exacerbate the problem of people returning. And secondly, he says, well, even if there is a problem, we can handle that by force. Uh, but specifically it, it, force
1: exercised and explained in the right way. What do you how, how does that play out?
0: Goebbels is saying we need to draw a line. like every society, every society under police has a line. You can uh, walk on this side but not on that side. and uh, you lay that down clearly, and then when, when people cross the line, they have to be punished. And as you note, the regime was well-practiced in, in publicizing cases of people crossing the line and being punished as a deterrent. So I think this is what Goebbels is talking about. What is interesting is that in this case, Goebbels, who really knows and seems to agree with Hitler at almost all points about the role of Hitler's playing as a Fuhrer and his image, ends up... Uh, suggesting something about the use of force that Hitler rejects. Here in this entry, Goebbels uses that word "geeignet," or what I translate as suitable or appropriate. Mm-hmm. We must therefore try to dam up this reverse current with suitable measures. Now he's using that same vocabulary and questioning whether force is suitable it's a different question about whether forced will work and whether it's suitable. These are two different issues raised here. Goebbels says it would work. The question is out there as to whether it's suitable. And when he takes this to Hitler for a Fuhrer decision in January 1944, a couple months later, because the Gauleiters are in disagreement about this, Hitler says it's not the appropriate or suitable measure. What we need to do is educate the people. So that they see our perspective, so they agree with us, so that we can walk together. Hitler wants to be the leader, but he doesn't want to be a leader separated from popular opinion or the appearance of popular approval. Okay, so the question is whether Goebbels and Hitler disagree. Uh, I don't think so. Goebbels is saying the force could work uh, in order to uh, stem this reverse current of uh, evacuees returning to home, but it's not suitable for National Socialism's goal of keeping Hitler and the people together as uh, people willing to move toward National Socialism because they're following and uh, believing in Hitler.
1: So how does all of this tie into the big idea that you want readers to walk away with?
0: It just goes back to the metaphor of the dance that that Hitler is willing to, to hesitate, to stop, to, if the people stumble in his, uh, leadership in this dance across the stage, that he's willing to slow or stop, make sure the people are with him and then move on. This must be what suitable refers to here. And it's interesting because this is the same word that is used on various occasions in this whole question about whether Using ration cards to manipulate the behavior of these evacuations. The question, the word always used is geeignet or suitable. Is it appropriate? It's not what will work in the context of, uh, the context here is, uh, and the big point here is that Hitler as the Führer wants to be seen as in step with the people. He's concerned uh, certainly about his appearance his image uh but he's also uh concerned that there is no credible vis- vision uh or no no credible dissent that shows uh that the propaganda so critical to the Nazis is incorrect that propaganda is that there is a consensus that the people love Hitler that the people follow Hitler and And any dissent is a mere fringe, an enemy of the people. So a couple reasons there uh, in this big picture context. Force could work, but it wouldn't work ultimately for the uh, Nazi goals either of preventing unrest or of uh, changing attitudes of having people follow Hitler away from their traditions in the cases where Nazism requires the people to ditch their old practices and customs and traditions
1: i've been playing around with this idea a little bit while i've been writing recently that the tendency to discuss the powers at least within the context of the gestapo but i think often what is written about the gestapo holds true for how people view the regime more generally the the idea that unlimited power is exercised or that there are no Limits, no external or legal limits on power, such as it is. This translates to an indiscriminate use of coercion, uh, but that in fact, the self imposed limits are uh, quite important for the way that the regime negotiates its relationship with German
0: society. And that's precisely what I mean by the yeah. That It's constituted and re improvised. It's one episode at a time, at least where these episodes incur on the people's traditions so that many people without an organization or without a leader are upset at the same time. And just in the course of everyday life, they discover this. They are in some cases certain that uh, Hitler agrees with them and that his underlings are the ones who are actually perverting his goals, and thus they feel entitled to dissent. It is interesting uh, and, and, uh, that uh, the people do discover this at certain points, that they are, uh, I guess it's when it's so blatant and that there are so many uh, people who are affected. We know that much dissent was simply cut off, strangled from the beginning by the fact that there were so many informers and that people had a hard time trusting each other. And yet, when it comes to so many people being uh, offended at once, that, uh, uh, that they, uh, they discover each other as... Uh, they can be sure, for example, in the Catholic Church, that uh, their, their neighbors, their parishioners in the pew beside them want the crucifix. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and also uh, there's an additional question about uh, uh, how much they're willing to sacrifice. In that Oldenburg crucifix uh, struggle, we saw that some of those Nazi leaders at the local level actually did proclaim that Hitler would be on their side. If not, Hitler would just have to be informed about how important the crucifix was to the Catholics, and then he would certainly uh, allow this. So, uh, but when you get to something like the Rosenstrasse protest, there you have people who are willing to, uh, share any fate that their Jewish husbands are, are going to share. So that certainly includes, uh, death, deportation, or whatever it might be. It was important to them to show their family members that they, they were uh, being uh, loyal when so many people weren't. Of course, this, if you look at the SD report on what the women at the Bitten protest were saying, you see also that, that, uh, there's one reported comment which comes to mind now, uh, where a woman says, oh, what does it matter? You might as well shoot me here as, uh, uh, you know, uh, die and, uh, have my children die in a bombing without me. She is also getting to the point where, where she feels like it's kind of an all or nothing, situation in any case with so much death and destruction and privation around people's uh, threshold for risking much more becomes lower. So a couple factors here. One is uh, how much are are you willing to risk? The other is do you think that Hitler's on your side so you're not really risking anything? If Hitler finds out, he's going to protect you. And then uh, this whole you know, it's, it seems like uh, there's a uh, you know, Hitler makes concessions to these protests, ruling in January 1944, for example, that he can't uh, have more protests because of manipulations of food ration distributions. He's making that in order to keep these Germans in the fold where they seem to want to be. Mm-hmm. So it's... It's this whole thing, uh, of, uh, let's work this out together. Whereas in the Rosenstrasse protest, the major difference is that those women who were married, non-Jewish women married to Jews, were fundamentally against the regime from the beginning because uh, they could see that meant the destruction of, of life as they had interpreted and, and as it gave meaning to them, the destruction of their families. So, there was a, <clears throat> a slightly different characterization there of protest.
1: Right. But so long as there is room for tradition within the regime, or at least so long as the public perceives that there is still room for the tradition that they see is as under assault within that regime, then they are willing to speak out together and in order to point out what they see as an underlying stepping out of line or overstepping boundaries or to inform the regime that we are loyal, but we this is important to us, you cannot go this
0: far. Right. Or well, you don't understand us because you we understand you as wanting to work for us. We both want Germany. Mm-hmm. We think we have the common understanding of Germany. That's of course what uh where we get to this uh you know, pulling the carpet out from under them so slowly they hardly know it. Mm-hmm. You know that they, 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 they you know, all of these Germans in all these disparate areas with their different cultural uh, backdrops regionally, all think that the German, that that Hitler has the same idea of Germany as they have, or at least many of them. That's that's, of course, why the image has to be maintained quite, quite vague. And uh yet beneficent and uh, and and just uh, the image of Hitler. Hitler doesn't want to just have power that allows him to control the behavior of Germans. He really wants to change the germans from the uh, you know from their attitudes outwards, from their uh, from from uh, from who they are at the most inner core, so that they're interested in being Nazis regardless of who's looking, who's paying attention who's uh, keeping score, that's, that, that that's who they are. In fact, uh, in his address to the Gauleiters in February of 1943, Goebbels, uh, Hitler says that, uh, we want to have enough support by the time my successor takes power that anyone considering resistance at that point will look around and see that it's impossible since uh, you'd have to assassinate the society and not just the leader. So this authority uh, that Hitler wanted so badly was all about uh, leading people, not just into war, but leading them into a new set of social norms. Hitler, of course, and Goebbels were nothing if uh, not breathtakingly visionary, as dystopian as that was. Uh, Hitler certainly didn't lack for, uh, for vision, and, and he wanted to be followed because he thought he could perhaps have an impact on history comparable to that of Jesus, the historical Jesus.
1: Mm-hmm. So the book is organized around these case studies where you pick up the threads of these different confrontations between Germans and the regime, and you begin with Hitler's rise to power and this legal course policy. Just to remind our listeners, the legal course was Hitler's decision to pursue power through election and avoid a revolution. Now, many people have written that this was tactical maneuvering to avoid a government crackdown or something like that. You say otherwise, and really that it's this foreshadowing of Hitler's entire approach to power and his relationship with the German people. How so?
0: Exactly. It, it was. And I also... Am somewhat dissatisfied with the with the prevailing uh, interpretation that Hitler learned all of this from the failure of the putsch, the beer hall putsch. It, there is some evidence that the SA sort of pushed Hitler into this into this attempted coup in November nineteen twenty three, and that. Uh, uh, and that Hitler was uh, was some sort of observer of uh, of history. We know from the books he's read that he kept uh, notes in the margins of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were some striking uh, incidences, in addition to his own failure, to illustrate the fact that uh, authority was important and not just power in Mein Kampf uh, at having made this turn toward his resolve to build his power on a mass movement, he writes that one cannot just uh, put your hand in a briefcase, pull your constitution out with a flourish and say, hey folks, here's our new new basis for our state. Somebody has to be paying attention to you. And so uh, in that sense, he wants real power and uh, not just the uh, power of force. Now, I think that this idea just uh, didn't come only from or it's possible. I, I, you know, it's, it, there's enough history around that Hitler might have been paying attention to as well to have uh, persuaded him. There were two main events in Weimar, the first being the Kopp-Putsch, a very striking event where uh, General Kopp and about 5,000 uh, men rattled around in Berlin for about five days, mm-hmm. proclaiming that they were the new government. However, uh, they didn't find anyone to pay attention because the uh, Ebert government had moved down to Stuttgart, and everybody was on a general strike, so there was nobody to take orders. No one you know, paid attention. As uh, it's described in Defying Hitler, uh, Hoffner's book, it was like a, a whole week of Sundays, since nothing was happening, even less than Sundays. And so, uh, basically, uh, he fled for his life, Because no one was paying attention, even though he had this uh, military force stronger than anyone that was opposing him. In fact, if there had been a military opposition, he could have defeated it handily and uh, declared himself the winner, and uh, everybody might have paid attention then, uh, certainly. Another uh, striking uh, event, based on how much uh, German socialists had schooled the German workers in collective action and general strike, was uh, following. The uh, French and Belgium uh, invasion of the Ruhr, they wanted to get the coal because they weren't getting reparations. Then uh, the Germans uh, did not mine the coal, and they didn't get the coal either. Uh, their uh, Germans were kind of ingenious at this kind of thing, too. I, I guess this is probably a socialist idea, but I've read that uh, when the French would appear at a bar and demand a drink... Everybody would walk out, including the bartender and the French guy that would be sitting there on the bar stool without a beer or without anybody to get a beer and This was the idea about uh, uh, about a recognition of authority that hitler was uh, was perceiving and uh, I did interview this uh, old Nazi Leopold Guter, who for a couple years uh, up until the Battle of the Balch, approximately had been uh, goebbel 's primary deputy. Uh, at the propaganda ministry when Goebbels was around wearing other hats in, in a lot of other places. He would actually sleep overnight there and uh, for days on end at the propaganda ministry. Uh, he was very proud of of what the Nazis called passive Widerstand, resistance, at, at, at during this moment of the uh, French invasion. So the, the Nazis were very much into this uh this notion, this activity, that's, of course, uh, before the Beer Hall Putsch uh, and, and uh, as a way of resistance, simply sitting out, nonconforming, uh, not acknowledging French authority. And uh, a little bit later, after the Beer Hall Putsch, Gobble, uh, Hitler writes that, that he's very aware of the power of, of strikes, of collective actions. He's afraid of uh, workers. And uh, not not afraid. He's just aware that workers uh, are very uh, well schooled in collective action, and that in fact uh, that, that this is uh, that, that this is a force that he wants to uh, get behind him. That's why the initially Nazi strategy is to win over the workers mm-hmm. as the uh, basis of his mass movement. That's just getting Hitler to this to this belief that his power has to be based on a mass movement and uh he makes it clear in Mein Kampf that he's not going to just ride the mass movement to the levers of power and then start hitting the masses over their head with these uh, he wants to uh, keep building that mass movement it's not something disposable and uh one of the uh, side effects of of the uh Nazi decision to use the legal path is that it won over conservative backing. There's not uh there's some evidence that uh that the uh, leaders at the top, especially by uh mid and late nineteen thirty two, uh had started to trust Hitler after his trial where he repeated that uh the Potemkin trials where he p- repeated his commitment to uh the legal way. Uh this made some uh, some difference, and uh, it certainly uh, opened the doors to negotiation. You can't imagine that if uh, if Hitler and the Nazis had been like uh, Tailman and the communists, that they would have been invited in to negotiate uh, for power. Of course, uh, uh, the communists were committed not to uh, negotiating and, and committed to actually, uh, you know, trying to brutally uh, make their way to government if necessary, whereas uh, Hitler was much more on the side of persuasion. Since he had to build up this mass movement anyway, uh, it turned out that the Weimar system was very friendly. That uh, Goebbels even called in the police to uh, uh, disrupt an SA sit-in at one point in his Berlin office. They depended on the police they, of course, uh, most of all, depended on this uh, credible system that everybody uh, believed in to count the votes, uh, not only uh, showed when they were winning, but it showed what became a very important part of their winning strategy after 1930, the fact that they were, uh, had such a meteoric rise in popular support.
1: So uh, a cynic might say, we know Hitler was an opportunist. Uh, he changed tact to get his way when necessary. It's, it's all propaganda manipulation. How is what you're seeing and what you're saying different?
0: Well, you're right that uh, not just the cynic, but uh, people note that even dictators as well as other governments want buy-in. Uh, so the question is, how far were the Nazis willing to go to get this buy-in? How does... Terror relate to propaganda and to concessions or compromises, as I as I call them. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, it, it shows that uh, this regime is, even though it's known rightly for its brutality and bottomless deceptions, mm-hmm. uh, Hitler used any tactic at hand and uh, to reach his goals. And one of his goals was this genuine uniform backing except for one or two uh, percent of dissenters, perhaps some fringe that would always be useful as the illustration of the enemy of the people. But uh, uh so uh that's uh, that that we so we're just seeing how far the regime is willing to go to educate rather than force the people into the kind of behavior that Hitler Wants to see. I can't really talk about percentages. You know how much percent was was forced. How much was uh, incentives? Certainly, the uh, the opposition, open opposition uh, that was against the regime itself, were political parties that was just uh, cut off uh, from the beginning with the Gestapo uh, and and other forces of the police. Although it has to be said that uh, that uh, the, the, the people. Uh, as as others have written saw this as quite fair. they wanted to eliminate the threat of a communist re- uh, revolution and uh, so so uh, H- Hitler was uh, careful to proceed with a show of popular support when he made uh, promulgated the nuremberg laws, for example, this was preceded by months of uh, party stimulated Uprisings against Jews on the streets, at swimming pools, and businesses, and movie theaters, so that uh, you know they were able to say, "Well, we've got to codify this now. This is something the people are demanding." I know that uh, I haven't seen the documents, but uh, Raoul Hilberg wrote that when Hindenburg opposed the boycott of the Jews in April the 1st, 1933. Hitler convinced him by saying it was the will of the people. So this is certainly the appearance Hitler wanted to make. He was willing to do a lot of compromising just to make sure it was the appearance, although uh, he was hoping that the appearance would translate into, uh, into behavior mm-hmm. uh, that, that, uh, and, and into a whole new set of social norms.
1: As we we sort of
0: cross the threshold, as it
1: were, from the rise to power to the Nazi regime in power, you begin to look at these case studies of popular protest and regime reaction and this this map, this negotiation process. The first one that you look at is the, the ongoing dispute in the early years between both the Catholic church and the Protestant churches in Germany and the Nazi party. So in this first phase, you're looking at the confrontation with the bishops. Can you tell us a bit about where that comes from and how the official response embodies this willingness to compromise, this desire to replace values?
0: Sure. You mean uh, replacing Christian values with Nazi attitudes? Or?
1: As you point out, the confrontation with the churches comes down to, there, there, is, a, there is a genuine desire to avoid confrontation with the population for a variety of like for for both for both instrumental and ideological
0: reasons. Mm-hmm. Right. So Hitler at one point rails against Rosenberg for having alienated or pushed against the hierarchy in in, in I think both churches, just on the sheer basis of being anti Christian when as Hitler said, and I'm not quoting this word for word, but that he had nothing to gain from it, or he did it in a way way that the Nazis didn't gain from it. It reminds me of uh, Hitler's, uh, I think, earliest expression of anti-Semitism, one of the earliest ones we have in writing from 1919. He writes uh, that uh, Nazi measures against Jews cannot be Emotional, they have to be professional. they have to be bureaucratic. Hitler wants to use the law and the bureaucracies. because uh, emotional anti-Semitism, as it's been ex- expressed in pogroms, hasn't solved the problem. And Hitler is uh, Hitler really does have these goals of uh, removing all Jews from Germany, and so he wants to do that a little bit more systematically. And uh he feels that Rosenberg was also just lashing out at the churches. We see the same thing happening uh just after the Nazi defeat of Poland, where Heydrich as well as as Bormann especially are uh thinking it's time to ratchet up the fight against the churches and and Hitler has just after the war started in the first week of September, has uh or the second has asked has 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 decreed that uh, all unnecessary provocations of the church have to de- desist. So uh, he uh, he's very capable of of strategy first of all and and of compromise and of uh, some. I'm sure that this would not have been uh, the image that he wanted to get across to the public perhaps all the time, although. Uh, one of these major interesting mechanisms of Hitler's power was that the people were uh, convinced in large measures, and not just the working classes, at least uh, there's a lot of report about this across class lines, that people thought if Hitler knew something was wrong, he was going to adjust it. Mm -hmm. So, they realized uh, that he stood for, for justice, that that it might be that he would change the course of uh, policy because of his ornery underlings uh headstrong taking things into their own hands rather than leaving it up to rather than leaving up to Hitler. So so Hitler I think begins with the position of compromise in that he sees the people as following a set of norms and beliefs, attitudes and customs that have to change. And he starts with where they are. Hitler does not think that he can just decree the way things should be and then move into Gestapo to make sure that they are sort of behaving that way. He starts with the fact that the people are are where they are that they've been misled. he brings Christianity Judea, Christianity, uh, Judaism and Bolshevism and uh, and then uh, so so his whole position is that you if you Call this a compromise. He moves slowly. He moves a bit and piecemeal. He moves as quickly as possible. He's certainly very eager to use deception if it works, in order to build up the practice of uh, Nazism among the people. And then, of course, uh, he tries to avoid having to compromise. These incidences you mentioned that I write about are are examples of events that happened that Hitler wanted to prevent. Hitler uh, was the Fuhrer, one of the reasons why he is so much more reluctant than some other agencies to just crack down and achieve what he wants at every turn among his own people. Certainly this doesn't apply to the Jews, the gypsies, social outsiders, these were treated brutally, but among the people whom he wants to curry into becoming, uh, to curate into becoming Nazis, a Nazi society. Uh, He wants a a total uh, state of course, but he wants to build that own total society. And so among those uh, so-called German blooded people, as he sees them, he is willing to give them uh, a second chance to bring them along and to use incentives Certainly, uh, as we saw, the uh, public political opposition was cut off, but uh, in order to draw the people toward him, Hitler did not think that he could just whip them into being his friend.
1: The quote that you use is really well chosen in that respect. Uh, you You have the line from Hitler about who would deprive people of their childish certainties without something to replace them, right? Like only a criminal or a fool or something like that?
0: Yes, exactly. Those two choices you have, either you're a criminal or a fool, if you think that you can actually deprive the people of their childish certainties without giving them a substitute. So that shows from the beginning how, how strategic Heather is thinking, not only strategically, but he's thinking about who people are. And of course, one of the challenges I have with this book and with the title starting with the title is that i'm soft peddling hitler Mm -hmm. that uh you know humanizing hitler we're seeing you know and 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 it has to be said from the beginning and i keep uh coming back to that points in the book that of course the ultimate destination of hitler in history and 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 his own uh drive was the destruction of Europe and the you know, near destruction of Europe, certainly bringing it to its knees and the destruction of Germany. So that's where we're headed. And I think uh, uh, when when he's so uh, clever tactically, it only, it's only with regard to how to be this image that the Germans crave, how to be this image that not just the Germans, but anybody, especially if they have a fear of enemies, especially if there's... A, uh, a terrible economic crisis or other form of crisis the, uh, uh, the the pressures on to believe some radical solution by a strong man mm-hmm. and, and Hitler was so good at at managing his image to fit that uh, to fit what the Germans wanted this notion of a benevolent and all powerful uh, leader, so so that's the only way in which uh, it does seem that he was clever tactically. I'm not sure if it's the only way, but certainly the main way. And so I want to uh, say from the beginning that this is not uh, saying Hitler was great, and I would also be pleased with the Mel Brooks uh, production of laughing at Hitler. But uh, I'm just trying trying to find out how he, how he, where he was able, how he was able to to uh, build up power it doesn't have to do with hitler being more ruthless more brutal than other people that's that's what i'm uh, uh keep keep encountering and i wonder why well it's a quite a
1: comfortable explanation right like i and i mean it keeps it keeps coming up again and again when you're looking at a dictatorship from the outside it it is a much more comfortable explanation to say that people are misled or forced or Otherwise terrorized into doing these terrible things rather than you know that there there are very human explanations and you know is it livy um, i I am human, nothing that is human is alien to me right like that the idea that Hitler was a human being is sort of difficult to process right that means that normal people did these things
0: yes, uh, in fact, if somebody was reminding. Me the other day, uh, Hitler had parents, so yeah. uh, don't enter that realm uh, without thought. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, I always see it as very much connected to the the early Cold War. You know, like the the nature of the history that's produced after the war. The first generation of historians are one, grappling with the discovery of the Holocaust itself and, and struggling to explain how that can happen. And, and two, oftentimes writing with the perspective of the targeted minorities and, and exile groups because many of the academics who went abroad and became the first historians of the entire terror system were the same people that were targeted by it. So there's, there's a good explanation for where the narrative comes from. And there's a strong emotional... Or psychological, perhaps comfort in in accepting terror over a more complex explanation. I think,
0: I think that's right. And of course, the Allies were also happy to be known as the liberators against a population that, it's true, wasn't going to be able to liberate itself. And so, uh, and, and then maybe there are also continuing ideas that. The state that can wield the most destructive weapons is the state that's going to be sure to be able to control and police world history. I, you know, possibly this desire to believe uh, in force in, in, in that way also brings us back to supporting the notion that, that Hitler got so much power just by bottomless ruthlessness. But I think that wouldn't have been possible, and that, that, that Hitler's tactical solicitation of the people, at one point uh, I wrote about how the regime bristles with incentives, and mm-hmm. really uh, tried to, at all angles and all places, draw the people with, uh, with, its, with rewards toward it, once, once the opposition was cut off with force and, uh, and, and intimidated from showing up in public. And it's interesting that in some of these cases of, of uh, protest, and that's so that mass unrest also or mass nonconformity is also a, a subject of the book. But especially in the case of crucifixes in Oldenburg in 1935, we find people... Protesting, based on the assurance that Hitler would certainly take their side if he only knew. Mm-hmm. So we have that complexity of uh, uh, of Hitler in his role of the Führer, never being willing to throw down the gauntlet and saying, "Choose me," you know, like uh, Jesus does to his disciples. You, you make your choice. You you go one side or the other. Uh, Hitler is saying, uh, "You can," uh, you know. He starts off in 1933, saying uh, we're going to build both on the Catholics and the Protestants. That's in you know, February of 1933, I think. And a big turning point, of course, is after the Tsarland victory in 1935. The Catholic bishops along the western rim of Germany had been very, uh, very important, I think, in, in 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 running up the tally, running up the percent of support that Germans got. And uh, eventually, as uh, as you point out in your own book, uh, Hitler wants to, uh, and the allies want to sort of uh, uh, hug the rug out from under the mm. under the uh, Germans, so that they might not even realize it, and then they find themselves happily on a, on the on Nazi uh, foundation of society, and they find it's better. Uh, so there is this this element of of the Nazis. And of the power, I think you know Hitler wouldn't have uh, gotten any, gotten very far at all if he had just assumed that his only uh, base for power was brute force. Do you
1: see this first period, uh, say nineteen thirty-three to nineteen thirty-four, as a misstep, uh, or uh, a, a period of things beyond Hitler's control, or a, a, a teething period, if you will, of, of Understanding how the levers of power, how to exercise it correctly, work with the population. Like, do you see a major change in the early years moving
0: forward? Well, you were just mentioning this uh, this contest with the bishops, and this is about uh, Hitler's Reich Church, was was very uh, dear to him, really, as a way of centralizing his power. Mm-hmm. Himmler later talks about how difficult it will be to. Undermine, undermine Christianity and, and remove its effects on the population and uh, Hitler's very aware of this as well and uh in in this contest of bishops and regional leaders down in the south uh Hitler is uh trying to introduce his Reich church that would centralize his authority over uh, over the protestants at least uh, if they just combine their regional churches under one Reich bishop that he would in turn be in charge of, then that would be a tremendous step forward. It's true that the uh, Protestants never really gave the regime as much resistance as the Catholics did, but he did want to centralize power, of course, in religion, just like elsewhere. And uh, this protest uh, was a true, was a show of uh, a, a real interesting show uh, where the bishops, especially miser Hans miser in Bavaria, was able to maintain and build his support and his show of support even when it was protesting a uh, measure of the government to introduce a Reich church and thus remove the independence that the Bavarian Protestant church had enjoyed, that was uh, something that Miser was able to mobilize and to maintain and to increase that popular support for himself and for the Protestant church independence in Bavaria, even though the regional Nazi leaders were quite competent and uh, also had rallies and they had national support. The right bishop himself, of course, the SA with their continuous rallies through the streets of Nuremberg and Munich and elsewhere in and Baden- berlin excuse me, and uh, and uh, Bavaria. So this was uh, uh, an interesting uh, display as well, I think, of uh, the the kind of leadership that the bishops exercised was not. Terribly different from the kind of leadership that the Nazis were talking about is that is a man who could stand up and, and speak and, 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 and get support, rouse opinion, emotions, and rally them around the cause, make people see and think the way that the leader uh, thought and uh, inspire them to follow. That is uh, something that has to do with, the, with with opinion and not just with policies. Mm-hmm. And so these bishops, these these bishops were real arrivals. And in the South, where they where uh, Miser and Vorm decided that they were going to take a stand against the Reich Church, not for any theological reasons, they noted, but only because they liked their independence there in the South, and. Uh, and and they uh, and 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 Miser was also very careful to to point out that he was always being when he was in public that he was always being faithful or loyal to Hitler that he uh, stood behind Hitler's leadership and that Hitler uh, must not really be in the know about these things and in fact what is another point of interest here in this uh, dispute about the right uh, church with all the other bishops having agreed in the Protestant church to this Reich bishop with two bishops holding out, we have uh, a, a situation arising there in along the Southern rim of, of uh, Germany where the regional leaders, the uh, the Gauleiter and, and the uh, president cannot actually resolve this. There's a, uh, a sense and 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 actually a reality that only hitler can solve this because he's deputized this he's deputized the bishop who's decided to move with force and start arresting the bishops he even uh, named somebody to replace these bishops these people have no authority and uh uh and 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 no one's going to follow them and it's just not working mm-hmm. and uh what these uh regional leaders are really concerned about is that even though this dispute and this protest and these meetings that these Protestants are holding uh and that they're increasingly uh demonstrating their uh, desire for independence despite what the regime says they're concerned that this is really political they claim it's religious but of course, since the regime counts all movements and ideologies as a potential competition, Christianity, its its allegiance, its institutions, and its beliefs are 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 in competition with with the uh, at least the uh, you know the people uh, are mobilized to support the bishop's position, and so. They are seen as political rivals, and, and only Hitler, the Fuhrer, the Fuhrer's position, of course, it depends on him maintaining his image as this, as this just person who does intervene if there is some injustice. And uh, once the regional leaders call on, call on Hitler, uh, he releases these bishops from house arrest, reinstates them, and uh, and the bishop, uh, the Reich bishop. Isn't trusted with a certainly not with the mentioned fear uh, type of leadership, the people leadership that the Hitler that, that, that the Nazis want. He simply is uh, relieved of his duties as a right bishop.
1: so in the, in the second phase of this confrontation, there's a shift in focus from the direct confrontation with, with the bishops to nibbling around the edges, or, or what Groa in the Rhineland calls slipping the rug out from underneath them bit by bit, uh, with the yeah. sort of confrontation of the con- confessional schools and placement of crucifixes, things like this. How how does this play out, and, and what does that tell us about the regime in this respect?
0: Well, one one interesting aspect is that they don't fight these churches like they would if if their only instrument of power was the Gestapo, that—that that is, they don't deliver these ultimatums from Berlin and then uh, th- then deliver them to the nation as a whole. But they, uh, first of all, uh, Hitler is not associated with them because they're introduced region by region, and this has that great advantage. Uh, uh, of for for Hitler of uh, making it seem as though Hitler's not involved, but also more importantly, of uh, of of uh, trying out different ideas and different policies. Hitler's very pleased with his idea about Gauleiters because he feels like these Gauleiters should have their hand on the pulse of their own pocket of German culture and mm-hmm. uh, wherever they may be, and that they are in charge of uh, introducing and notifying uh their areas uh, at in the ways and and to the extent uh of the speed that's possible in in their own areas so so these are this is done regionally uh the move against uh, crucifixes rather than nationally with a single decree that is then enforced by the gestapo uh the image of Hitler is uh is very much present in this struggle, uh but uh it's present in a way that people can assume it's only the the regional party leaders who are acting up and outside of Hitler's directives to have asked them to give up the crucifixes. Some of these uh some of these church leaders in Oldenburg when uh the local uh Galleiter Rover removes the crucifixes with a decree. They 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 say, well, they, they, Hitler just doesn't realize that this is such an important symbol to the Catholic Church. We've got to write to him and let him know. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so so certainly that's that's also a major uh, mechanism of, of Hitler's power. That that there's always that deniability. And then there's it only works, of course, because there's a there's this. I think this is one of the one one of the problems we really have to explain. Why is there a desire to protect Hitler uh, among you know, and among among the Germans in this case? Why it would cause them a crisis, I guess, to actually question their belief in, in Hitler. But there is uh, this whole deniability works only in in combination with the the desire to make it work. For people to deny that Hitler is is responsible, this Galiters system is very important for also understanding Aryanization and uh, you know in the East and then the deportation of Jews. Because of course there are few matters more sensitive uh, to the public than rounding up and deporting the Jewish population, and and thus the Galiters have responsibility for timing. And declaration, and even the definition of uh, who's a Jew to some extent, uh, when they declare that uh, that their Galilea is so uh, called free of Jews.
1: It was actually when talking about this like this puts me in the mind of Alan Confino's book about uh, like regional heimats in Germany and this idea that. Uh, the construction of german nationalism relied in large part on on sort of representing the peculiar within the general um he has a really interesting chapter in there about uh heimat museums and how that's the way that the catholic areas in germany end up negotiating themselves into this primarily prussian protestant nationalism from the late 19th century um it it's i mean Perhaps nothing unique so much as that's the way that politics works. You all, you want to create a narrative that people can buy into. But
0: um, Yes, but here's a dictatorship. The question is, how far is a dictatorship that we think of as just pulling out their guns and shooting every time there's opposition, how far is it ready to go to make compromises? Of course, everybody wants buy-in, but we're talking about uh, something uh, that seems uh, foreign to common interpretations.
1: Of course, I, I'm already functioning in the world where I assume that the dictatorship still sees itself as representing a, a legitimate public mandate in some way. So perhaps that okay, should be but clarified. You, but <laughs>
0: yes, of course. No, I just wanted to say that for the interview. Not, absolutely, I know absolutely. No, no. Of
1: course, it it bears repeating. That's kind of the yeah. whole point you're driving at here. So yeah.
0: So so that's the big point, exactly. Of course, many regimes are one of them. Many regimes. know they want buy-in. They want buy-in. I think that's why for example contemporary dictators uh Putin and Erdogan for example are able to be so ruthless against protest is that they have so much uh public approval at least there's the appearance of that and the appearance is is pretty convincing so uh Hitler of course was was much more much more ambitious his breathtaking Redrawing of humanity and society in Germany of actually, uh, changed attitudes, radically changed perspectives and, and behaviors. So he had to be a little bit more careful, uh, in actually using force. That's a second part of the surprise we're talking about in terms of getting buy-in. And that nice. is, uh, if yeah. I
1: could just raise a point here though um it, it could it could be more that there's this uh, the the target the the targeted groups that are subject to bring it back to to Goebbel's discussion about the appropriate contextualization of violence uh yeah. and and as you were saying, this drawing of the lines between what is acceptable and what is unacceptable. the groups that are targeted are not part of the social majority the social majority is the group that tends to be generally understood as conforming uh, occasionally stepping out of line uh, as a, as a, as a on mass protest when a particular tradition is trod upon, but more or less on board and, and certainly not communist or Jewish part of the broader concept of a Judeo Bolshevik conspiracy that's outside. Um, it, It in speaking just of Putin and Erdogan, uh, the use of violence against social outgroups in that respect may in fact be part of where the popularity of the dictatorship comes from. You, know, you look back to the Weimar Republic and the idea that it was culturally adrift and out of control and that the groups that were seen as creating that crisis are the ones that are subjected to the harshest persecution under the Nazis.
0: That's a great point. I Exactly. And it's the same point I was trying to make about Putin and Erdogan, about the the outsiders, if they can be identified as outsiders, outside of the mainstream, the November criminals. These are people who aren't true Germans, didn't have the interest of Germany mm-hmm. in mind. But exactly that, the vast majority of people cannot be cast that way, not of the German-blooded Aryans, as the Nazis call them. And it raises also this important point to me, in my explanation at least, that The Nazis want to work with norms. They're not just working with violence. If they can only get the appearance of a norm to keep people in line until it really becomes a normative behavior, that's fine. Mm -hmm. They just need to... uh, That's why maintaining the perception that there's no dissent, there aren't any public protest people so upset they're going on the streets. That is important, and that's why... We don't have records of some of these protests, and it is interesting that somehow the s d report on the Witten protest survived, whereas nothing did on Rosenstrasza. uh of course uh, uh other other uh, records on the von Gallen or the bishop miser and Durham protests do exist but uh, uh but you know, we have in black and white the uh Gestapo's instructions that uh, are not to publicize anything about protests, to reinterpret whatever is going on. Goebbels, for example, after Rosenstrasse, says that the people were bombed out and were on the streets. Mm-hmm. So,
1: reading between the lines of uh, the dictatorship's public proclamations and publications, do you get the sense that there was significantly more protest in Nazi Germany than we tend to encounter in these few examples that have survived where it is discussed openly? Or is this a case where those cases are truly the exceptional ones that that cannot be covered up? There are smaller events where I suppose I could just leave you to respond to the question.
0: Yeah it's a good question uh, Ryan and I think the the problem isn't whether there was more protest than what we already know about but but whether we're able to integrate the pr- response to protest in our interpretations of Nazi Germany it's it just doesn't fit in mm-hmm. in common perceptions and in many scholarly perceptions at all that the regime would be making Concessions, uh, compromising a direction it already started out on, reversing course in order to double around and get there in a less direct way. And of course, it always is important to say that uh, people weren't able to get together and decide on some opinion and go out in the street and, and demand it. We're not talking about that.
1: On that note, we draw this installment of the Third Reich History Podcast to a close. The interview with Nathan went on for nearly two and a half hours as we got into a number of digressions and started talking about sources, methods, state of the art, real historian stuff. So rather than get into all of the nitty gritty details in one sitting, what we're going to do instead is serialize parts of the interview, like our news section. At any rate, we hope you found it interesting, the first of more to come, and hope to see you next time. Until then.